0: Get out the way. way. Who got a watch? Who got the time? I'm raising the clock. Even in my feelings, grind don't stop. Copy. Today we have a special guest with us. It's a different kind of conversation. We are talking about custody and custody battles. Uh, and we have Renee Rodriguez with us from the Custody Blueprint. Hi, Renee. Welcome to Mature Allure. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, so I run a company called Best Foot Forward Consulting, where we work with the custody blueprint to help protective parents who are in a custody battle with a high conflict co-parent to get the custody arrangement that's best for their kids. So, What that translates to is we help abused parents, usually, but not always women, to go into family court against their abuser and convince the court that the charming person they're staring at is not the same person behind closed doors. And um, my journey to this, uh, to this kind of a role, is my own story, quite frankly.
0: Mm, Do you mind? You said one thing there before we get into your story. I thought it was interesting how you said the charming person that they're staring at. But we'll talk about that a little later. Um, And I did say the business. You're the you're from Best Foot Forward, which you. That's correct. Work with Mm -hmm. the Custody Blueprint. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yes. Tell us more about Best Foot Forward and the Custody Blueprint and your story.
1: Sure. Sure. Well, so. Best Foot Forward was, I mean, they're intertwined. Best Foot Forward was um, born from my story. I am someone who, uh, like I imagine many of your viewers may have had, you know, sort of a later in life, I decided to have a child. Um, So I was 41 when I gave birth to my son. And you would think, you know, by that time, I would be able to tell the difference between somebody who isn't very authentic and someone who is, or at least that's what I told myself. But, um, in reality, you know, who I ended up, uh, having a child with is someone who was diagnosed, as a matter of fact, as a narcissistic, uh, abuser. So when you have someone who is charming, like that is doting is attentive is is someone who says and does all the right things. It doesn't have to do with whether or not you are seeing what's what, because the facade that they've put on is so convincing that you feel like you have found your soulmate. Um, I felt like I found somebody who understood me so well. I was doing well in life, I was, you know, heading up um, a team of people at the top levels of a corporation on the side I was running a theater company that was about to go off Broadway um it was there was a lot going on and there was a lot going on that was good so when I met him I was pulled in very charming very lovely and ended up in a relationship where the red flags started coming out and I dismissed them as, as quirks. You know, I'm, this is later in life that I'm meeting somebody. I haven't settled yet. Maybe it's because I'm too picky. Maybe I need to accept people for who they are. A number of things like that went through my head to excuse the red flags to find reasons for it. Plus, in between the red flags, he was quite charming. There was a lot of what I now know was love bombing. So there would be something ugly would happen, but then he would be extra lovely for a while. Fast forward, um, you know, we we had a child. By that time, the abuse was bad. A friend, my therapist, both told me I was being mentally abused. I finally accepted that. And, um, you know, I had to leave him when things started to get really bad. At that point, my son was only five months old, so I had to enter into a custody battle. When I entered into the custody battle, I had a great lawyer. I found somebody who was quite good but I could tell, you know, somebody who has a strategy background, I could tell that there was still something missing. There was still more that I could do. And right around that time, I was also trying to figure out what is this type of abuse I've suffered, right? Why is it that when I'm getting help for domestic violence, it isn't quite hitting the mark. And that was really when I first learned about narcissistic abuse. I started getting the right help. And through those channels, I found Tina Swithin, who heads up one mom's battle. Tina was somebody who was coaching at the time. And I thought, well, maybe that's what I what is a divorce coach? What is, I've never heard of that. What does that do? Let me get me one of those. And so I hired Tina um, and I never let, you know, my lawyer know, but this was something I knew I wanted to do. The truth is working with Tina changed the trajectory of my custody case, and I will be forever grateful for that. But there did come a point in our case where we had to do a custody evaluation. This is something that normally comes later in a case when it's clear to the court that there isn't going to be a settlement, mediation isn't working, um, we can't quite figure out what's what, can't come to a parenting agreement. So let's hire an evaluator to come in and spend several hours doing several interviews meet the kids, see the parents with the kids, all of this separately, put it all together over several months to determine who is a healthier parent, who should get the custody arrangement that they're asking for. Tina was very blunt. She said, look, this is not my area of expertise. This is the biggest deal, the biggest part of your custody case. There are only two people I know who coach in this type of work. I think they're full. Let me go find them. So she talked to them. One of them was retiring because the stories of domestic abuse just became too much for her to live with. And the other one was just full for months to come. And she said, Renee, you're a strategist. Um, you know, you. I think you know how to do this. Why don't you just try to put your evidence together and then come back to me and we'll put something together ourselves? Because I, I have seen some of the stuff that they do. So I did that. We had a session. She looked at you know what I put together, and she said, "My God, Renee, I've never seen anything like this. She said, this is I've never seen it laid out so clearly. I've never seen it put together in this way. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic. You should be doing this yourself. You should become a coach." To which I said, "Slow your roll. I'm in the middle of a custody case." <laughs> <laughs> and then when I came out of it. You know, I had friends who had recovered with me and Tina was, you know, spreading the word. Everybody was requesting these templates. They wanted this sort of blueprint that I put together um, for the evaluation. And I was kind of just throwing it at people and letting them have it. And a lot of people around me, including my therapist, said, why aren't you doing this for business? Mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking I am in my 40s. Right. I'm supposed to be, I've got this job with a boss and a salary and benefits. And now I'm a single mom who needs to take care of this child. Right. So that would be irresponsible. But it was calling to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a background in strategy, I have a degree and background in psychology. I had become a certified instructional designer and have always been someone who's directed, coached, trained, taught for, by that time, some 20-odd years, yeah. starting in my teens. And it all kind of felt right, and I had something. I had unlocked something that nobody else had unlocked. And I kept waiting and thinking, well, this is just little old me. I can't be the only person who's figured this out. But nobody else was coming up with it. And everybody was requesting what I was doing, and I thought, well, let me give it a shot. And that's how Best Foot Forward finally got incorporated, and um at this point we have grown, you know, we are now my team includes um, gosh, I, I am so blessed to lead. I, I have an amazing team. There's a family court lawyer on the team,
0: mm-hmm. there's a
1: divorce coach, um, you know, project managers, administrators, everyone with a DV background, domestic violence background. We come in and we help these clients. We take them through our custody blueprint program or we take them through our done for you, or they join our membership, or they just do private sessions. I am the specialist who I still do work with people who just need to prepare for that custody evaluation. And the reason why we keep that specialty there is because 85 to 90% of family court judges will just go along with whatever the evaluator recommends, even if you go all the way to trial. Even if you spend all that money, all that time, all that energy trying to convince the judge that maybe the evaluator was wrong, 85 to 90% of them are still going to go along with what the evaluator recommended. So everybody thinks you have to convince the judge, you have to convince the evaluator. And Mm -hmm. so I still specialize and do a prep package for that. But for the most part, we realized everything you're preparing for, for an evaluation, you sort of need to have already done that and a lot more for your entire case so we we covered the gamut just about a to z and That was um, gonna, that's that was
0: gonna be my question when you said you know you're prepping for the evaluation is this something people should start putting together prior much sooner than that evaluation is before that evaluation is requested
1: yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question, because a lot of times when we do work with people who are coming to us just for their case and not for an evaluation, they will say, well, we don't have an evaluation and I don't think we want to do one. They're, they're really expensive. And they are. They're incredibly expensive. They're usually tens of thousands of dollars. Right. And it's required and you got to do it. And, you know, it's unfortunate. So if you're spending that kind of money, my goodness, you, you've got to get the result you want to get. You want to get that outcome. You want to give yourself the best possible chance to do it. Mm -hmm. So when we get people who are saying, I don't think we're going to, I don't know if we're going to, we don't have an evaluation plan. I would like to still see them get started. And the reason why is because when I work with people just for the evaluation they suddenly realize that it takes weeks upon weeks upon weeks Mm. to fully put together your body of evidence for the evaluator to see. Because people come to us and they say, well, I've been on the internet. I've talked to this person and that person. I know I'm supposed to document everything. I I know I'm supposed to record if I can, if I'm in a state where I'm allowed. And they've got hours and hours worth of recordings. They've got, right now in my office, I've got Thirteen binders from three inch binders from a client who's who's working with us to do her evidence for her yeah. with our done for you for her evaluation. It takes several weeks to do this, even with a team. so when you've got one person doing it, we usually would like to see them start working on it right away because it's going to take three four five six months mm. right if you want to really, really do it well, and if you're preparing for that, then yeah, at the same time you're preparing for your case anyway so we do encourage people to start preparing as if you will go through an evaluation, um, you know, even if there's not one planned. And at this point, it's no longer the age where, like me, it's no longer the age where you're only working with 20-somethings and 30-somethings. We have moms who are in their 40s, 50s with young children or tweens or teens, and they're still there fighting for their kids. Is this something, since you just mentioned that, is there something that
0: grandparents too? Can go because sometimes grandparents are also fighting for custody or you you don't work for
1: that. So we do. Um, so we'll work with grandparents. Um, grandparents come to us for one of two reasons. Either they're there to say, you know, help my daughter, help my son. Um, so they want to come in and they say, you know, my daughter's been abused, or my daughter was, you know, there's also coercive control, there's psychological abuse. This stuff actually um, you know, the studies show is more damaging and more lasting than physical abuse, although none of it's forgettable, none of it's forgivable, none of it's any lesser, right? But they will say, you know, she's going through an Ugly custody battle. And I tell me what I need to do to support her getting the help she needs. And we do have grandparents who are coming in and saying, you know, recently we had a client where, um, unfortunately, her daughter had unexpectedly passed. Mm. And while um, her daughter's abusive ex didn't want to have anything to do with the kids, he swooped right in and simply took them, plucked them out of their life, plucked them out of their school, their soccer, their football, their singing, their violin, just plucked them out. And took them away and isolated them right so she's you know the whole family really came and said how do we how do we deal with this right or they're they're coming in and they're saying for whatever reason you know my my daughter's in jail my daughter had to move away you know whatever it might be they want to get custody or They simply want to have some visitation rights because they don't happen to, you know, be getting along with their child anymore, but they still want to be part of their grandchild's life, right? Mm -hmm. So there's various ways that people come in. But the bottom line is when we're helping you, we're helping you against a narcissistic individual. That's specifically who we work with, someone who is, and if you can't identify them as narcissistic, you're basically looking for a self-entitled abuser whether it's physical abuse, psychological abuse, coercive control, spiritual abuse, financial abuse, any of it. Um, The majority of abusers are probably narcissistic. So um, we do talk to people before we work with them to see if they would be a good fit for us. So if we have the grandparents and they're coming to us and they describe what they're dealing with, we'll decide whether or not we can help them.
0: So what are some of the how, how would they describe it? I mean, I know you just said spiritual, the uh, emotional. What are some things that you hear that will let you know that this is a narcissistic person that this person is dealing with?
1: Most of the time what we're hearing are the red flags that you can, you can go to almost any website and say, what are the red flags for narcissism? And interestingly enough, I noticed these days, because every once in a while we like to see what we're recommending to people to do these days, uh, the information is disseminated so broadly that you might have to look at three or four websites to put the whole list together. But what you're looking at is someone who is isolating. The children or the abuse victim, you know, the protective parent, the mom, usually, Um, someone who is pulling them away from their friends and family, Uh, someone who practices the silent treatment, which is particularly cruel, where they go, you know, hours, um, many times days, walking around refusing, just um, erasing that person's existence in spite of the fact that they're sitting at the dinner table, in spite of the fact that. You know, they're right there. Uh they blame. So if they lose their own keys, um, that morning they'll come home and blame their, you know, their wife or, you know, their co-parent that night, even though the co-parent was off at work and living her life. Um, they will there'll be a sense of superiority, grandiosity. So they'll feel that they're better than everyone else. Um they uh maybe someone who puts all the work on the other person, the emotional work, the physical work, the household work, Uh, financial abuse. They may be somebody who meets out an allowance every once in a while. Um, The joint account only has just enough in there and they pour over the grocery receipts after the shopping is done. Um, If, you know, the mom wants to go and uh, buy herself a new dress for a wedding, then you know, there's, you're allowed to spend this much and I'll give you this much. And it's, it's as if they're, it's as if they're giving one of those, you know, tween or teen debit cards to a child that they only put just that much on there. Um, they will ridicule and demean, you know, um, and really, honestly, if you've got someone in your life who says that she's walking on eggshells or uses language, anything like that, you've got someone who is being abused, mm-hmm. maybe not physically, but psychologically, possibly both.
0: Wow. Wow. Um, so how, with the holidays, with the holidays, this is a season where people are thinking family, friends, um, get togethers. What is your advice for someone who's going through a custody battle that's mm. kind of rough and yeah. they're dealing with a person like this and, and, and they're going
1: through the battle? What's your advice? It's funny. We are doing a workshop this Friday, another one in November. We call it Preparing for the Narcissist's Holiday Shenanigans. Um, Holidays bring out so much chaos, so much sabotage. Um, You know, you will see, um, often what we'll see is that the parent won't let the child choose their own Halloween costume, or any time their child chooses a Halloween costume, they will wear something that is directly related to it in an enmeshed way. I'm not talking about the cute family that all go as Pokemon or minions. I'm talking about every year without fail, if whatever the child chooses, the um, you know disordered parent chooses something that is the ruler over that character. Um, so if they choose Mario, they're Wario, that type of thing. On into Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, you know, Christmas. So... <clears throat> Here's really what we like to tell our clients. Um, If you're planning, if you're still trying to figure out what the schedule should be, maybe because you're at the beginning of your journey, you guys don't have a holiday schedule set, you're in the midst of trying to figure it out, you're doing something temporary, it's kind of not working and there's a lot of fighting. There's this real pull to splitting the holiday in half. You know, you get the first half of the day, I get the last half of the day. And I have to say, it's so difficult for children when you do that. It's so difficult. If you celebrate Christmas, if you celebrate Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, you know, you've got, there's gift giving. And what you're doing is you're tearing your child away from the gift because a disordered parent won't let them take their newly unwrapped gifts with them to your home. And you have learned not to let your gifts go over to their home because you will never see them again. And my advice, quite frankly, is buy the gifts for the children they're for the children. If they go over to the other household and you never see them again, the children still have them. So it really comes down to a couple of things. Make sure the schedule supports something that they can mess with as little as possible and loosen up the way that you are defining the holiday. So if I talk briefly about, you know, the parenting schedule, Many times when people come to us, not at the beginning of their journey, but in the middle of their journey, because they have to go back, it is because we look at their parenting plan, which was either given to them by the court, given to them by their lawyer, downloaded from the internet, and they're too Mm -hmm. loosey-goosey. There's not enough detail. And if there isn't detail, when you have a disordered abuser, they 100% will find the loopholes and reinterpret. You want me to give you one of the most extreme examples, although there are several, is we, we see this actually quite frequently, where there might be a one-week vacation for Christmas, a one-week vacation in the summer. And um, the abuser will take them for 12, 13, 14, 21 days, and they will say, well, that is one week. And it feels like insanity, because in the real world, one week equals seven days, six, nine, seven days. An abuser will use different ways to say, this is a week. It's a week. Because it includes the weekends, because it includes all the time that the school offered, plus my time. And it starts turning into anywhere from 12 days to three weeks. You would not believe what we see. So you can't say a week. You have to say six nights, seven days. Starting at six o'clock on day one, ending at six o'clock on day seven. That's what you have to do. And it sounds, and your lawyer will even say this to you. Others will say it to you. Opposing counsel will say this to you. Oh, you're being controlling. You're not. You're getting control. There's a difference between getting control and being controlling. They are controlling. They're finding the loopholes. They're creating chaos. They're controlling your life. They're controlling your children's lives, right? Mm-hmm. You just need to get control. On the flip side of that, we live, if, if you're in the United States, and I find that it's happening a little bit more in Canada as well. There's actually some real opportunities here in that there isn't just a holiday now, it's like a month long. And so Halloween, if it's not your year to do trick-or-treating, you can go trick-or-treating like two or three more times before that actual night. right? You can go pumpkin picking two or three times with them in October. Yeah. You can go to the fall festivals in November. You can build things, right? For Christmas. Oh, I mean, November, Christmas, they're, they're, all of it is like a, a freaking month long. Am I wrong? I <laughs> I it's like, there's so many things. And so Here's what we find and we know from studies with children and anecdotally from parents who have already been through it and will speak to us and help us out about what it's like. The children have less memory of where they were when they opened Santa's presents than they do of the fact that every Christmas we go see the Radio City Spectacular. They don't remember what day it was. They don't Mm -hmm. remember that it was two weeks before Christmas. They don't remember it was the day after Thanksgiving. Every year we always go to like Rose Hill Farm to get the pumpkins. They don't remember when that was, but they need that every year. It defines their Halloween. It -hmm. defines their Thanksgiving. We always make our turkey hats. We always make our, you know, whatever. What are your traditions? Because that is what makes the holiday for children. We know it. It's proven. So don't fight over Thanksgiving Day. Don't fight over which day of Hanukkah. Don't fight over it. Instead, create the traditions that are hard to sabotage, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's stuff you know they won't do. They're really restricted about food, so they're never going to go do this thing with like the candies and, and, you know, build taffy together for Christmas, whatever it might be. It can be something that's very Christmassy. It can be something like building taffy, which ostensibly could happen any time of the year, but you've tied it into Christmas, right? You can find things. They will try to sabotage things. You will begin to learn what they're unable to sabotage. You will begin to learn that you only want to schedule the Great Pumpkin train ride, the Polar Express train ride on your weekends, on your time with them. That is my recommendation to take the chaos out of the holidays, understanding that on the day of, they're still going to create problems. They're still going to be on the phone too long with your kids over their designated time. They're still going to try to one-up the gifts you're giving them for Hanukkah. Don't worry about any of that. What the children walk away with isn't the presents, isn't where they were on that given day. It is the traditions. Every year, mm-hmm. there's, are we going to make the pumpkin muffins? Are we going to make the pumpkin pie for Nana for Thanksgiving? This, this, this is what they look forward to every year. So pick two or three things to do for each holiday that won't overwhelm you, that won't overwhelm a trauma, a traumatized child, because every time they go to the other household, they do suffer some trauma. Pick things that are easy. That you know you can reliably do every year that isn't going to break the bank, or heck, let it break the bank if that's what you wanted to do, but just pick two to three things per holiday that don't rest on the date itself. Pick the traditions, and I assure you that's what makes up the holidays for the kids
0: wow that that's awesome advice, and it also seems like it might be a little less stressful for you as well. Because then you don't have to really kind of deal with, you're not going to get yourself worked up. Yeah. Yeah. You Mm. know? Yeah. So let's, on average, you mentioned earlier about moms and their defense teams, the lawyers, things like that. On average, um, how would you say, how do you pick somebody? I mean, I guess that's what divorce coaching is really all about. How would you, I'm trying to, I want to say this the right way. <laughs> but I want to be clear about what I'm saying. <laughs> um, in your experience, you've seen that moms are dependent on the lawyers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they have no, sometimes it can be hard to really kind of have a sense of how best to represent themselves in court like what advice do you have for them when dealing with this situation you know they've got to deal with the kids they've got to deal with the spouse they've got to deal or the ex-spouse however what is your advice
1: um you do want to build a team right so it's like i said i sensed that my lawyer wasn't enough and you know, one of the things I do want to make clear about lawyers that without fail, we we have to tell our clients is your lawyer is not your savior. If you watch Law and & Order and you're watching that handsome or that beautiful lawyer who spends an entire episode on this client and they're angst ridden and when they're eating lunch, they're talking about this client and they're researching and they're studying and they're looking for everything to help this client for an entire episode all the way to the end and their whole emotional lives or dependent upon not failing this client. So that is not the reality. And I don't mean to say that your lawyer doesn't care. What I mean to say is that it doesn't look like that. It looks like a lawyer who has 30 to 40 clients, possibly. It looks like they'll look at your stuff right before they go into court, right before they're on a call with you. Um, They don't know your case. They're not eating, sleeping and breathing your children's futures, um, They're just going to do what they know best. And lawyers, generally speaking, when they're pre-law, you can boil it down to they're learning what you need them to learn, which is case law, process and procedure. Because without those things, you know, you can't follow the law. You can't get through a court case. Right. But what they're not taking is strategy one on one. What they're not taking is like a full course of strategic thinking. And so you're looking for lawyers who either learn that or are gifted with it or whatever. But most of the time, they're depending on the other things because those are things that can win. But you know what helps you really win is all of that plus strategy. And so you want to find the people who are strategists. That could be a divorce coach, but you have to look at a divorce coach. Many of them now, they're there to hold your hand. They're they there to help guide you. They're a sounding board. They may not be a strategist, right? So you want to make sure that you've got someone who's a background in strategy if that's what you're looking for i think you do want a strategist so you want to find that person whether it's through your divorce coach or through someone like me who is a custody strategist or consultant or someone who works in a different field you do also want your therapist right so then what are you doing with your lawyer you are providing them with your body of evidence and if all the evidence that you've documented if we put that all in a big pile on the floor and consider that 100% of your evidence, you're going to go into court with 5% of that. That's it. There's a reason you're documenting everything. Your offense should be made up of 5% or less of that, of everything you've documented. It's not everything. If you go in with everything, you lose your lawyer. They don't know what to do. They don't want to listen to you, right? Right. So you come in with things already prepared. We do this with the custody blueprint and people who we give it to. You have it already prepared. You give it to your lawyer. They finally can see what's what in a snapshot sort of way, but it's got all the relevant evidence. It's got the stuff we know is relevant and compelling and can follow the rules of evidence. You want to be prepared for that. Because guess what? The person who wins your case isn't your lawyer, it's you. And if you go in and you say to your lawyer, Help me, how do we win this? You're off to a bad start. So when you're looking for a lawyer, you're looking for the lawyer who you come in and you say, What do you know about psychological abuse? What do you know about coercive control? And see if they're dismissive or see if they're kind of like, Yeah, it's not easy. You know, if they start talking about, it's not easy, they're automatically starting to think about strategically, how would they do it? But if they say it doesn't work, you have someone who is not dealing in strategy, walk away. I, the person I settled with was the 13th person I interviewed and someone called that a nightmare. I didn't, I won. Right. It's it, you have to find the right person. I didn't hire 12 lawyers before, but I did consult 12 lawyers and I found the one, you want to know what he said to me? He said, let's get you control of your life back. And I thought, he sees, he gets wow. it. Right. So you want to ask them that. And you also want to ask them when you are writing things, when you're putting together things, will you be willing to partner with me so that we're both doing it together? Because I know that a lot of lawyers of preference is to write it. And then I look at it, make sure everything's just accurate. Mm-hmm. And then you move on with it. And that's not the worst thing in the world. Listen, it's not. But you know what's better is if you go and you say, well, let me review this and you talk to your strategist and show it to them and you go over it and make sure you feel good about it with your therapist because you don't want to walk away being angry with your lawyer. And if you're pro se, the biggest tip I can give you is stop walking in there like you're the injured party and start walking in there like you are your own lawyer. Mm -hmm. What I tell my pro se clients is, no, you are the lawyer. Walk in like you're the lawyer. Right, yes, you don't know the case law, you don't know this, you don't know that, you're doing your best, but you have to pretend what you're visualizing is that you, as the party, is the shadow person beside you. Visualize that that shadow person beside you is who you're representing, and that's your core. But right now, you're the lawyer because most pro se people go in saying, I want justice, hear my story, and you don't win that way. Mm -hmm. You have to pretend you're a lawyer, even if you don't know single thing about law. There are ways to learn enough so that you can go in and pretend you're a lawyer and at least get a better result. Because the percentages are not good, Sherry. There is a 20% chance that you will win going pro se if your co-parent has a lawyer themselves. If neither of you have a lawyer, you only have a 50% chance of winning. But I believe, and what we have proven is, That's pretty much because most people go in as if they're an injured party wanting to tell their story. Instead of going in like, I'm a lawyer, I'm going to present my case like I'm on my my own lawyer. Here's paperwork. Here's some case law. And you can always, if you can't afford a lawyer, you can also hire a consulting lawyer to look over what you're preparing. They won't represent you in court. They'll only spend an hour or two with you. Mm -hmm. But my goodness, that's a savings, isn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, this is the thing. You've given a lot of really great information and tips as to what people can do. What if, because it all can be very intimidating, what is, what, yeah, what does the best foot forward do for someone? Can you kind of outline if they call you up and say, look, I'm going through this, I'm having a hard time. Like they're listening, right? They're listening to this program and they're Mm -hmm. like, I need this person or I need help. What, can you give an overview of just maybe a few quick steps to kind of maybe let somebody feel at ease that you guys are, because I'm listening to you and I'm like, wow, I would go, I would run straight to you. Um, But what what do you guys do?
1: What is the process? Yeah, I, I, you know, I encourage people the first place to go would be the custody, the custody blueprint, the custodyblueprint.com. Mm -hmm. there you'll see a chance to take a free masterclass. Um, and it, it, it really plays frequently this masterclass. We go through it, take the masterclass. It is 30 minutes and just listening to that and us talking about what we do and how you should go into court. will tell you whether or not we would be a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. Right. You Mm -hmm. listen to the whole thing, all 30 minutes at the end of it. If you feel like, yes, I fit this profile. This is my problem too. Please excuse me for that. Then essentially the next thing that you want to do is you want to book the call. Then we'll talk to you, make sure that it really is a good fit. If not, we will refer you over to a better fit or tell you that we think you're better off kind of doing this one on your own and saving your money. But if we can help you, the first place we're probably going to try to get you into is our program, our Custody Warriors program for women. We only take 10 people at a time for that, though. So when we have room, we have people do that. And that is nine weeks. So in nine weeks, you work with me and my team to get your body of evidence finally done. People go months being kind of like, I got to do, I got to put together. My, my lawyer's been asking. In nine weeks, we help you do that. And my team, like I said, has a family court lawyer, a divorce coach, and they also meet weekly with my certified trauma recovery coach, not for therapy, but to make sure that your head is on good, that you're not so triggered when you're going through things to help you get through it in nine weeks. Because the reason people don't put together the body of evidence quickly is because of how triggering it is, how hard it is to go over all that abuse again and all those ugly, ugly messages, right? So that's the number one place we like to have people. We certainly do a done-for-you service for people who simply want to hand over all their evidence and have somebody else do it, but we and that works well, but we like the Custody Warriors program for people because it's very empowering, and the way you show up in court by the end of those nine weeks is very different from the person that your um, co-parent saw in court before that. Otherwise, people can join a monthly membership if they qualify, or they can do private sessions, but we have a good success rate all around, but the program success rate was in 2020 was 100% success mm-hmm. rate. In 2021, it was 979 and in 2022, it was 94.9% success rate. Mm-hmm. So that's where we like to put people because you get empowered, you put your case together and we're, we're talking strategy with you. So if you feel like you're not getting strategy from your lawyer, that's where we want you to go. If there's 10 spots at a time, but yes, we keep it small because we really dive in with each person and work with them closely.
0: I was going to ask you before we get, before we go, I was going to ask you if you notice the changes in your clients at the end or towards the end, like even as far as, like you said, the empowerment and maybe they were, because they were abused or feeling, you know, Put upon, or you know that sort of thing. If you notice an actual change in their personality and how they present themselves and how they go about doing things in the future, forward.
1: Do we? Is that your question? That's something mm-hmm. you're asking. You guys, yeah. You guys notice? Yeah. That? Oh my goodness. We just at the halfway point. We see, and we love to remark upon it when someone is especially. Uh, one of our coaches is actually someone who started out in the blueprint, and she talks about when she first came in. She, she wasn't sleeping. She was nervous about everything. She was constantly anxious. She swore she was going to lose her child. Mm. And about halfway through, she was helping out others in her cohort. And she, you know, and she's not atypical, you know, people come in and they are They're living in a state of terror, if you ask me. I mean, there's a lot of different ways I can describe it, but what it boils down to is a state of terror. And by the end, they're talking the language, they've got a plan, and they're talking strategically. At the beginning of the nine weeks, they're kind of like, what am I going to do? What if I, what if this, what if, you know the custody apocalypse comes my way because that's what the world feels like. And by the end, they're kind of like, okay, we've, I've been working on this strategy. I'm done with this strategy. Just one last question. And I think I've got it together. That's a different way of speaking about your case. Mm -hmm. Imagine that you're starting out kind of like, well, my lawyer told me to. And by the end, you're kind of like, I'm going to ask my lawyer to do this. Well, now you've got somebody who, who has as much control of their case as one can have, Versus coming in, giving control of your case to a lawyer.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. That's why I asked because I mean, it can—you're leaving a situation, or you're in a situation where you're already feeling like you're out of control with the right. relationship itself and the battle itself, and then to be dealing in, in the whole situation where you're out of control. I can, I can kind of see how working
1: with you guys it's empowering, empowering. So, well, and Sherry, the post-separation abuse will never stop. And so who you are in that post-separation abuse, that's going to determine how much that affects you. Because I think the next thing you got to do, if you can rise above the post-separation abuse, because they will, until their dying day, and these guys live forever, I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) And until their dying day, their job is to punish you and get revenge. And they're doing it through the children. So if you can get yourself above the post-separation abuse, you can help your children through the post-separation abuse.
0: Wow. Well, Renee, this has been a really, really great conversation. I appreciate you being here. Um, You mentioned the custody blueprint. If you could kind of just let people know who might want to get in touch with you, the best way to do it, kind of let them know again where they need to go.
1: Yep, yep. thecustodyblueprint.com. You can also go to custodytemplates.com to kind of get a glimpse at our stuff, but thecustodyblueprint.com. And if you want to reach us directly, you can do admin at bestfootforwardllc.com.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Renee, for this information, for this chat. It was enlightening. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Mature Allure. For more information about us, visit matureallure.net and get social with us on Instagram and YouTube at mature.allure. Facebook at ForMatureAllure and Twitter at Mature underscore Allure. Till next time, we encourage you to stay positive, embrace who you are at every stage of your life, and always tap into your Mature Allure.